everyone displays grit in some way or the other standing in line for an oxygen refill cylinder is grit and making sure that cylinder gets back to your beloved one is that itself so it's a display of grit so millions of people are displaying it at this point in time and once they find it and they realize this is the quality i need to to nurture this is the quality i need to sustain even beyond covid and take it to other parts of my life they will be very successful they'll be happier because they will have understood the meaning of embracing hardship and not getting defeated by it. Hello people out there welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Seek Your Purpose podcast and I'm your host for the show Mayank Sahara But before we proceed ahead with today's conversation if you're listening it for the very first time please hit that subscribe or follow button to receive the updates If you are a regular listener do rate or review us on Apple podcast and help us reaching out to more of such purpose seekers that we have around us Now let's get started For this episode, I have been joined on board by a man who listened to that little inner voice popping inside him. He curated it over the next few years and finally at the age of 40, he set out on an unsupported cycling expedition for 15,000 kilometers all the way from Alaska to Peru at a stretch of 400 days. He's not a trained athlete, more of just like you and me. A casual human being but with over 30 years of working professional experience with some of the leading known brands in indian market at a very senior leadership nowadays besides devoting his time to cycling and his profession he's exploring and enjoying new version of being a writer his two books great gravel and gear and away they're topping the charts so i'm glad to have mr dhruv bogra with me This conversation is more like of a guided session to me from someone with such a vast set of experience. His take on life, passion, knowledge, great resilience, money, family, nature, and especially your dreams is really deep and insightful. Now let's tune into the conversation with Mr. Dhruv Bogra. Today in this episode I've been joined by an amazing personality whom I feel is important and a bit relevant for three major reasons. So the first one is he took a sabbatical from his career when he was at the peak of its career while he was working with some of the big companies of India. The second one he listened to that little inner voice that kept on popping up again and again just seek out his purpose and that led him to the tag of being an adventure seeker. And the third one definitely he's a writer he's a writer of two amazing adventure books of his own experience great gravel gear and away so dhruv sir dhruv bogra sir welcome to the show thank you for the introduction mayank happy to be here talking to you so sir apart from all this corporate life and all how's 2021 treating you are you planning for some sort of you know adventures books and all because i know that last year d- during last lockdown you you ended up writing a book your second book right so what's plans for this year ahead yeah i mean from uh, 2021 perspective uh, my heart goes out to all those who are currently suffering or have lost a loved one or are giving care and comfort to loved one praise go to all who are affected by the virus very heartbreaking to see uh, some of the stories around us 
So at a time like this, you know, combined with my other responsibilities at work, I had a company, a fashion clothing company, and it's about slowing down. It's about pausing, uh, whatever one is doing, uh, or even if one is still busy. So for example, uh, I'm currently uh, I based myself for some time in the mountains. and i do uh, do some trail runs in the morning to keep myself going and to keep my lungs fit because they were a little uh, strained and afflicted by uh, by covid but from an adventure perspective i think this is a good time to be very careful to stay low and mm. not plan anything big at the moment uh, even i am not really venturing out too much uh, outside the immediate area that i am in because it's a matter of being responsible maya to others and to yourself while i'm not in favor of staying inside indoors all the time uh, i'm fortunate i'm in a position to move out of my my little house that i have here and i can go into the trails and mountains and climb a peak if i want to but i'm generally staying away from people because i want to keep them safe and myself safe and i would advise everyone else to do the same is to avoid large gatherings large groups i still see a lot of people in outside delhi in areas doing things in groups that they should not be doing but i think i would like to use this time my uncle to coming back to your question more directly is to write some more uh, i did a trip just before the lockdown started from uh, basically masuri to harsil valley so that was a 220 km uh, self supported solo cycling trip uh, and harsil is a beautiful valley near gangotri just 20 km short of gangotri so i did a cycling trip and i'm going to be writing about that and i'm going to sort of be literally in real time adding a chapter to the book away which is all about mm-hmm. adventures in the himalayas and i think it will be a very sweet part of, of that <clears throat> story book because this was a wonderful trip encapsulating all the uttarakhand's beautiful landscape and also the spiritual part of it which was a wonderful surprise which i'll reveal in the book so you found yourself back again in the mountains right so yes i directed myself to the mountains i didn't find myself there but I think it's a, it's a place where I'm able to heal myself and also strengthen my body. Uh, and as a cyclist, uh, I have to protect my lungs so that I can continue riding in high altitude. So this is one of the reasons why I'm ensuring that uh, I continue to look after myself and I can keep on pursuing adventures in the future. To begin with this interview, let's let's rewind you back to the time when you know it was your childhood, your early life, your school, college, and all. Just to get an idea, the making of the adventure seeker that you have in you, a bit light up on that. You know, uh, before I took up cycling seriously, I never thought about it. But uh, after I took up cycling seriously, and after a lot of my expeditions, especially the one which was from North to South America, I was often asked, "When did you start cycling?" And I said, "Oh my God, now I remember." Uh, i remember cycling to school in mathura in class 3 you know and even though even the containment there was i still remember there was some traffic you know rickshaws motorcycles cars and uh, hats off to my mother that allowed me to cycle 3 kilometers to school and back every day just in class 3 or 4 at that time so yes the the love for cycling the wind in the hair was always there and i continue to do that even in delhi in my high school days i i would cycle to school on many days when school was not very far away subsequently i just lost contact with cycling for a long time but i picked it up again in my mid 40s and picked it up very strongly and since then there's been no looking back to it from an adventure perspective i think my formative years were my youth in in shobhat college in nainital 
where sports, recreational activities, outdoors were encouraged, whether it was trail running in the mountains, even before trail running became famous or the cool thing to do in the in the last 10 years, we were trail running way back in the mountains in the 1970s and 80s. And, you know, three kilometer, five kilometer races on, on the kind of terrain that you would shudder to even walk on. But we used to be pelting down at such a massive speed. Uh, when I look back on those years with normal PT shoes, I wonder how we did it. So, yes, yeah, so it started then. And then, of course, with the Army Public School, we had a wonderful principal called Mr. Hari Dang who was instrumental in pushing us, all of us, to experiment with the outdoors, which we never had the opportunity or someone, any teacher to show us the path. And mm, uh, right. he, he was the first one who actually, in the school's history, pushed people to go skiing, river rafting, and things like that. And I did all those things. That made me discover my love for the mountains, for nature, and anything adventurous. At that, Even then, that was still considered extremely adventurous because in 1984-85, river rafting was just very nascent. And we were possibly mm-hmm. among the first batch of school students who were allowed to go in the Ganges too. So yes, uh, it was very, uh, I think it played a role in opening up the mountains and nature to me. And which I carried forward much later in my life actually. And so it's important, I think, uh, for your for your audience, for your viewers to understand that if you love something, don't give it up because you have a day job in the city. Uh, it's very important to stick to your dreams. Uh, there are thousands of amazing influencers today who are taking you to various trips, you know, along with them into the Himalayas, different parts of the world. They're showing you a window which we never had. We never had social media in our in our times when we were growing up. We never knew how beautiful a country could look and what amazing places remain to be discovered. I think the generation today has an enormous and tremendous opportunity and responsibility to really go out there mm-hmm. and explore just like those influencers and enjoy it responsibly, you know, and really take back a piece of the nature back home and bring back those values to the city, grow more trees, look after the environment, teach their children uh, to respect, you know. Uh, I've been in this place uh, for the last uh, three, four weeks now, and I'm really, you know, delighted to hear the bird song in the morning. And if you close your eyes, you can hear six to seven birds singing at the same time. And it's absolutely fabulous. It's fabulous, you know. And uh, once you fall in love with that, when you go back to the city, you want to keep coming back. And uh, that's how the moment will start to save the planet, to save Earth, save trees from being cut down and things like that. So as far as I've got to know about your childhood, it feels as if, you know, Either you go, you push yourself into all those kind of situations related to adventure, wildlife, nature and all. So it's the saying like, you know, you, in order to develop a child, in order to develop, frame a child, you get to, you know, surround them with all those kind of things so that he or she may choose the career out of it. So I guess for you, all your, the schooling that you have mentioned about Nenetal, the army school, your love for travel and for mountains, I guess all these kind of summer for who actually you are right now, right? Yes, Mayank. I think our environment uh, in our childhood days uh, plays a very big part in shaping who we eventually become as adults. Psychology will always tell you that uh, the first six to nine years of a child are the most formative ones. The adult framework, the psychology is already hardwired into our brain by the time you're six or seven. So uh, most of the shaping has been done by then. So I think my, my shout out to all parents or uh, young to-be parents maybe sometime in the future would be that get your kids started early expose yourselves as well 
loyal local park delhi has amazing park i mean where i live and it took me so many years my uncle even discover them you know really and uh, instead of going to the mall go to the park trust me uh, right. you will ch- you will change your life <laughs> really truly agree sir i tr- i truly agree with you on this part and uh, if we talk about delhi life and especially if we talk about your corporate life so you had around 30 plus years of working with corporates right 30 plus yes. years of working with corporates yes. and if you now you know just look at back at all those 30 years and if you really want to you know tell someone out of all those 30 years what you have learned or out of all the things that have made you right now so in a nutshell what would you really want to tell you know what the corporate experience actually is i was very fortunate man to work with some of the finest brands and companies uh, that could work for in the industry i was in whether it was the tatas uh, or some of the most iconic brands like levis uh, or adidas Uh, I worked with very fine people, so they shaped my character, they shaped my my leadership skills, my view of life, and I think two very important things that I learned was uh, one is humility. Uh, it is very important to be what corporate life and leading people. I wouldn't say corporate life, but mm-hmm. being put in senior leadership positions right from a young age taught me that it's very important to be humble. You will not always be right, uh, so listen to people around you, respect them. and take them along as your colleagues so very important to be humble to always remember that you are always learning you are always in learning mode you don't have all the answers and you will also learn from everyone above you and below you uh, who's reporting into you and the third is uh, the ability of grit and resilience you know to be resilient in tough times is very important to see a company through a difficult time or a difficult environment it could be competitors it could be covid it could be product failure anything there are so many different mm-hmm. hundreds of situations that come up in a year that it's important as a manager whether you are in an ngo whether you're in a private sector you know government sector the challenges generally remain the same and it's very important to be gritty it's very important to be resilient persistent and be tough from inside to take on those challenges so combination of humility and grit is what i would mm. say are the two opinions on which good management rests in my opinion they are the formative quality for a good leader and a leader is not someone mayank who is appointed by the organization with a title to be the boss even mm-hmm. a person without a team can be a leader a leader of thought a leader right. of leader of action leader uh, who is showing others by example how to be so it's a quality that people tend to not appreciate they see degrees and mm. and certifications as a as a way to success i don't think so i've seen a lot of people with very high fancy mbas fall by the wayside when it came to really deciding whom to lead who should lead the company who should drive the business who should lead this team it's usually somebody who has demonstrated humility and high integrity and grit of course i forgot the third one which is integrity which is non negotiable yep and so if we talk about grit how do you define grit actually in your terms grit is the ability to to sustain yourself in the most demanding circumstances is to be is resilient to to be able to stand strong against hardship and persevere and overcome the challenges that you face along the way and overcome successfully if you look up grit as a word it has many meanings its endurance its resilience its perseverance of never giving up mm-hmm. and so it all grit 
starts in the mind. It's not a physical strength thing. It's about having a gritty heart, a gritty mind to overcome hardship and challenges to achieve your objective, whatever it might be, a personal goal, a professional goal. Mm, right. For example, these COVID times, right? This call for all of us to have the quality of grit to survive this, right? Just like our ancestors did in various world wars, in various depressions that the, that the global economy went through over the last 500 years. So this people are losing jobs, my uncle. <clears throat> people are losing loved ones. People are losing their health. Some people are depressed. Mental health has become a big issue. How can you survive all this? You can survive it if you constantly develop the quality of grit. Grit mm-hmm. is not a God-given strength. Grit is something you develop along the way because you believe in the inner strength that you have as a person. All of us have this inner strength. We just have to find it and not be defeated by circumstances. And this is something you develop over the period of time, depending upon your actions and the situation. You can, that you you can develop it really fast. It depends what is thrust upon you and how you, how you take it up. None mm-hmm. of us had ever experienced a COVID before. My 30 years of experience no. did not prepare me for a COVID situation. It did not prepare my colleagues in the office for a COVID situation, but they all rose to the occasion because in all of them, in varying degrees, there was a inherent quality of grit, which they displayed fabulously well. And so did thousands of others in various sectors of the economy, mm-hmm. whether it was farmers, whether it was the poor landless guy or, or the poor migrant worker who displayed grit by cycling a thousand kilometers back home. That's grit. Taking your family back, your kids, your wife on a cycle back home is great. And surviving that journey is mm-hmm. great. So everyone displays grit in some way or the other. Standing in line for an oxygen refill cylinder is great. And making sure that cylinder gets back to your loved one is that itself. So it's a display of grit. So millions of people are displaying it at this point in time. And once they find it and they realize this is a quality I need to to nurture this is a quality I need to sustain even beyond COVID and take it to other parts mm. of my life, they will be very successful. They'll be happier because they will have understood the meaning of embracing hardship and not getting defeated by it. And if if one wants to develop this this habit of grit, you know, with this feeling, all these kind of things. So what would you advise for them? How to develop or how to curate all these kind of things? I think first it's important to just understand what it means how to be what is res- what mm. does being resilient mean what does mean what does it mean to be enduring what does it mean to be persevering maybe read books read books of famous true stories you know first this that can be a starting point if you want to self-learn and self-understand what is that quality that you need to build and then start practicing with small small situations at home you know it can be about a job that you have lost. It can be about the pay cut you're going through. Okay, instead of getting defeated by it, entering into a depression, complaining and whining about it, maybe just accept it and say, now this has happened. How can I make the best of my life? How can I make the best of this moment God has given me? Or whoever you, whatever you believe in, you may be an atheist as well. But what has this moment given me in life to be grateful for? Once you start living a life with gratitude and you are then you are happier in that moment and you then develop the the ability to be stronger and once you're stronger you will yourself develop grit so a faith is very important i think faith 
is the precondition for grit because faith gives you mm, mental right, right. faith gives you mental strength right hope gives you mental strength right, and once you develop faith and hope very strongly in your mind your mind becomes tougher and then is able to take on hardship much more easily than when you don't have faith faith in yourself faith in the universe around you that will surely uplift you that will surely lift you up and look around you for role models who have embraced hardship you have them in your life an uncle maybe in the family maybe your own father who perhaps you don't give too much importance to because he's your father but sometimes our role models are not gandhi or nehru they're sitting right under your nose they can be your mother they can be your father they can be your grandfather or they can be an uncle or they can be a friend or a friend's father but look for role models who can help you find strength in life that's very important and at this time people need that they need the quality of grit to get past these tough times when it's about grit and especially when when it's about the the power of your brain so what all you do just to keep your mind stimulating and you know keep it sharp especially in these tough times of covid and all the you know demanding times with you with your corporate life and all these kind of things that are happening around us right now so i love to be creative i would spend my time in either writing or i would mm-hmm. uh, go out and uh, meet the birds with my camera or go cycling and take pictures of plants trees a weed that looks interesting i become childlike and in being childlike you become innocent okay mm, right right and then your creativity just flows i also meditate i listen to music mm. it's not that i work 10 hours a day but work is happening all the time dynamically whether it's 8 in the morning or 7 in the evening but in between i do steal some time to read a book i do steal some time to step out and if i see a lovely hoopo i take out my camera and take a picture of it i may not post it on social media i may not post it on instagram but it's for my own self oh wow i captured that lovely bird so find delight in day to day stuff if you are stuck in a lonely place or you're stuck in a flat with four walls even no windows i've been in that situation try to mm-hmm. find some some activity to do it could be on the phone it could be a course online there is such a massive opportunity to learn today because the online learning space has just mushroomed into like a massive place you can learn almost anything mm-hmm. right. from cooking to photography to digital marketing make it a point to just keep your mind busy a lot of these courses are free you can go to coursera you can go to there are some course, very good deals you get on many other sites keep learning use this time to learn to read to be creative to one thing that i tell everyone which is a secret not a secret as in like not to be told to anyone but a secret because it's not apparent to anybody which is go back to the last mm. time in your childhood when you were truly happy and one thing that i joke with people is before you fell in love okay before all <laughs> so the, sweet of you sir all the complications and complexities of life of loving and heartbreak and phone yeah. calls and emotional drama happen go back to that time when you actually felt free and for most people i've discovered it's usually between the ages of 12 and 15 because by 12 or 13 you've discovered who you are your identity is getting shaped by 15 is that point mm-hmm. where you haven't yet fallen in love with anyone yet you know maybe you like some girl or some boy somewhere but you're free you don't feel burdened your board exams have not started yet <laughs> and that's the time 
think about what was it that you were happiest doing what passion did you have what hobby did you have that when you did it you felt really happy and you know i rediscovered my passion for cycling through this process in my mind and i'm sharing it with you mm-hmm. i last remembered i felt free and happy when i was riding a bicycle and i went and bought a bicycle at the age of 45 or 44 whatever oh okay so the point is it's never late you may have an audience who's still 18 very good and you may have an audience who may be 58 years old i don't know but it's never too late to discover what makes you happy and do it even if it's in a small way even if it makes people laugh if you love doing origami do origami yaar you know anything works you want to start cooking again start cooking again it's important to keep the mind busy my mother she still does she's 78 years old she still does crosswords every morning i said mom like what is this yaar this is they're so difficult because half the time she's cheating also that's it she said, no i've got to keep my mind busy it's a wonderful trait to have keep your mind busy don't let it be idle don't get stuck on your phone don't keep watching netflix all day don't watch serials all day there are many more interesting things in life to develop yourself all those things can happen in some other time this is the time to grow and be ready for the new world that is suddenly going to open up next year so this is going to be mm. a tough year a tougher year than 2020 is going to shake up the world even further and you need to be ready with new skills because the world will new, need new skills some skills that the world doesn't need to just die out suddenly right so reskilling reeducation is very important this year people should make use of that time to do that and when it's about hobbies as you just said so if you want to you know rate dhruv being a photographer dhruv being an adventure seeker and dhruv being a corporate leader how are you going to rate all these kind of things adventure definitely comes number 1 Number two comes photography out of interest, and copulator come three, right? In terms of the actual, what the world perceives me as will just be the opposite, okay? Yep. Possibly, but the way I perceive myself in terms of the order of importance I give to all three, I give my identity as an adventurer, as a writer, and a photographer much more importance than I give the identity to something that I spent thirty years of my life. I'm grateful for it. Mm. It shaped me. It gave me a lot of organizational skills, thinking skills. But at the end of the day, what defines me are the first two or three, not the last, in my mind. These are the two things that you will definitely do at the end of your last breath, right? Yeah. I mean, if I if I, had, if I had to die tomorrow and somebody had to write a tombstone, I'd be happy with the road. Here lies lies a great adventurer. Not what here lies is a great corporate leader. No, I don't want that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's my aspiration. Since you have so vast experience, and then in addition to that, your uh, your experience as an adventure seeker, so there might be n number of cases when you are in a dilemma of you know either to step forward and just seek whatever I wanted to, or either to you know just just put a step back, just take a step back, and then realize what actually is happening. Should I spot it? Should I stop it? Should I you know swap it or just move on? Or you know should I just analyze the situation and if i really want to change things right now so how do you take situations like this when you are in a dilemma of choosing point a that is you are going with the straight forward line or choosing the point b that is as per society it's you know kind of the most weirdest thing that you are going to try it depends on the situation and what i want to do and the answer would differ for all 7 billion or 7.5 billion people on the planet each one has their own template in life to take decisions 
even for me i have never taken the same decision in the same manner every time so when i chose to ride solo from north america to south america it was a spontaneous impulsive determined decision to do so and i made up my mind fairly fast but from from uh, decision to execution was almost a gap of one year hmm. and i did it fearlessly i think and i put myself on a path of no return deliberately so that i can never change my mind and i embarked on that journey similarly when it comes to choosing between say a corporate life and a full time life of an adventurer explorer photographer whatever it might be the situation in in life keeps shifting right your responsibilities keep shifting they never remain the same they never remain static so then one has to take a call okay what is in it for the larger good of the of everyone around me and myself one can't always be a man should not be selfish but one should first think of mm. the import of your actions on the welfare of others so if anything that you're doing is going to impinge on the welfare of others think twice if you can't change the situation can you make them part of the situation if you want to go backpacking around mm. the world your wife or your partner has a career going should you just leave her or should you convince her to accompany you or should you convince her that i'll go for two backpacking trips a year let me go i'll go and come back okay so these are creative solutions that each individual has to find uh, depending on their unique situation there are many others who pining to go and explore the world but they have old parents to look after can i tell that person no no follow your heart leave them and go no you can't do that so you have to find a middle path right. i met a biker in a remote campground in canada he was around 55 56 years old riding a, a bmw kind of a adventure you know one of bigger models and he said in my younger days i used to be riding the world for months on end and now married i have a wife and we have a pact every two years i can disappear anywhere on the planet i want for three months rest of the holidays have to be with her but for three months every two years i can just go where i like in the world that's the formula he figured it out that that's the best way to keep the marriage in good shape keep her happy keep himself happy and mm. everything is nice there's a balance that is achieved similarly if there's somebody who wants to quit his job tomorrow and go and say i want to be a dj or i want to do something different with my life consider everything if there's nothing stopping you but you just skate because you are not sure whether you want to do it or not or how will it work out will i fail will i succeed there's nobody really dependent on you just please go do it don't even think twice the universe will open all doors for you okay mm. so everyone's situation is different all i would say is follow your dreams and also one very important point my dreams take time to fructify okay unless you are developing an app tomorrow for for covid patients and you have to have it ready in 7 days is different but if you have a dream which is a much grander dream then be patient with it build it slowly build it block by block block by block 6 months 9 months maybe 2 years i waited 4 years to go cycling around mm. the world even though the idea was first imprinted in my mind 4 years before the journey actually took place so by the time i got around life and living and corporate responsibilities my daughter was going to get graduated i had to obviously take care of her education 
But once that was over, I said, I'm ready, I'm free, I can go. So it depends on the situation from individual to individual at different points in time. But always remember one thing. If you have a dream, make a plan, make it happen, no matter how long it is. I now want to just straight away jump to the the most exciting part that I want to explore from you is you decided to go on a sabbatical or just to take a break from your hectic corporate life of 30 years, right? You took a one year sabbatical and then you hopped onto an adventure trip all the way from one part of a country to other spanning all over, uh, I guess it's for 400 days, I guess? Yes, 400 days, a year and a half I was on the bicycle, yes. So 400 days on a bicycle, crossing across the 10 or 11 countries. And I just want to hear it from you. You have explained me the why part, but I really want to know how did you plan it? How did you achieve it? The how part now. So the how is uh, the easier part. The why is always the more difficult one to answer uh, because it's a mix of so many things, spiritual, emotional. Mm. So the how is far more simpler. How is about... You know, once I had identified the route, which is, this is the route I want to go on, which is the Pan-American route, which stretches typically from Alaska to Ushuaia in Argentina, which is a span of almost 24,000 kilometers, can go up to 32,000 also, depending on which route you take. But once I decided the route, I had to get down to really understanding the different terrains, climate, the kind Mm -hmm. of routes and roads I would need to take, because that would determine everything for my gear selection. So what is gear? Gear is not your car gear or your motorcycle gear. Gear is the equipment that you need to carry. So when you're on a bicycle, like I was on a bicycle, solo, unsupported, all the stuff that you need on the journey is sitting on the bicycle. So it's got packs. They're called panniers. So there are four or six panniers Mm -hmm. on the bicycle. And together they weigh anything from, depending on what kind of cyclist you are, from 40 to 60 kilos. And... That has got your clothing, your food, your repair equipment, your sleeping bag, your tent, sleeping mat, medicines, toolkits, maybe if you're carrying a small laptop, whatever. Okay. So that journey, terrain and countries and climates and time zones determines what are you going to carry? How light is it going to be? What mm. material will it be made of? What kind of cycle should it be? What are the technical specifications does a cycle need? to be able to ridden on this terrain for so many days for, with so much of weight on it. So all that had to be determined. And I started that process a year before the journey itself. So identifying the bicycle, the parts, getting it made, it is custom made in Bangalore, importing the different pieces of equipment, whether it is clothing, gloves, socks, jerseys, you know, the toolkits, the cooking stove, all that from the US and Europe, because none of it was available in India at that point in time. When all that was done, then I knew I'm ready. But before that, and parallel to that, was the whole process of route planning. Now, if you are traveling for 400 days, Mm. that time it was 600 days. If you're traveling for 600 days, you have to know where you're going to halt every night. For that, you need to have a huge paper map. And you need to see on the paper map, where is water? Where are campgrounds? Where is the town? Where can I refuel with food? Is there a stream on the way somewhere if the distance is too much? What is the rise of the road? Because the rise of the road and the steep ascent of the road on that day can determine how many kilometers can you cycle in those six to eight hours of daylight. So it depends on your speed as a person, how strong you are. Can you cycle 100 kilometers in six hours or can you cycle only 50? That depends on the grade of the road. Mm. Is the road climbing all the way? 
Are you climbing a mountain? Are you going over a path? Or is it all flat land? So you have to study the geography of the land by kilometer. Okay. That took me six, seven months of daily planning after work, sitting down and mapping town by town, by campground by campground, where am I going to halt? And by and large, 80% of it was on track. Because I changed the route a bit on the way as I was going. Oh, I don't think I'll take mm. this road, I'll take this road. So I'd say 70, 80% was bang on. The balance 25, 30% was like I took special routes, I went off course, I came back, all that happened. But it was a lot of careful planning. And that careful planning allowed less mistakes to happen. It allowed my journey mm. to go as planned. And it also helped me to control my cost. Because if you go unplanned into a journey like this, it can cost you your life. It can cost you a lot of trouble. And it could spoil the journey that you decided to go on because you didn't plan for it. When it's about the preparation part, we have discussed how you actually plan that trip. Now, I really want to get an idea since it's a long trip. It's a trip of around 400 days that can take a toll on your health also. So how did you prepare or how did you manage yourself on a physical front first? So how did you manage yourself on a physical front? How did you prepare yourself physically? So physically, obviously, I, I stepped up my cycling on a daily basis. And then as I got closer to a few months before, before I got closer to uh, the time I was supposed to go on this journey, I started simulating my rides with weight. And obviously, a lot of my equipment had not come. So I used to fill my the panniers mm-hmm. of the bicycle with books. So that I, and I'd be like a mad guy cycling through Delhi streets with all these four bags of my bicycle. And people used to be wondering, who is this guy? I used to be doing that. I started taking my cycle up to the mountains to start climbing, simulating climbs with that weight to build my my ability, my endurance. I didn't do that too many times because I didn't get the time from work, but I did three, four times. Then I also undertook the services of an uh, outdoor adventure travel company to give me a guide who would take me into the mountains mm-hmm. in the winter where I wanted to practice setting up my tent, uh, learning how to cook, and stuff like that so some moderate wilderness survival training kind of thing so we went on six four or three four day trek into Uttarakhand in the winter it was minus seven i remember in those days even during the day but that trip allowed me to simulate conditions in the arctic uh, in case there was a blizzard or a snowfall or i was caught unaware it would allow me to understand how does my body and my equipment react to that kind of cold and how do i respond to it and what do i do to do for it you know, at home also, I started sleeping on the ground. I used to pitch my tent in the room and not sleep on the bed with the light on. Because in the Arctic, there is Minaris to land there in June. It's 20 mm-hmm. hours of sunlight. So how do you sleep with the light on, with the sun on? So I simulated conditions. I reduced my AC to as low as I could, even in the winter to minus 15, minus 16. And it was already cold outside. I mean, to 16 degrees. So I was sleeping in the cold with my sleeping bag in my tent, in my room for almost three, four months to get my body used to the hard sleeping mat of the tent. It was a bit like that. I couldn't really get away for a long period of time to train in the mountains because I had a job and I had a very big responsibility mm. with a company I was working for. So and it was a leadership role. So I could not ignore that as well. So I had to make the best of what I could. And the fourth thing that I did is I, I, I took on a trainer to physically prepare me for the journey in terms of stretching, uh, strengthening my muscles that, that had to be done to make my body prepared for managing that kind of terrain by myself, mm-hmm. carrying that weight with me, also keeping myself free from injury. During that trip, actually, uh, if you could just share some, you know, some 
some good moments and some of the most toughest moments that you encountered. Any few, two or three, if you want to share. Some good moments that you really, you know, feeling blessed of and the most toughest moment that you are actually, you know, just trying to question yourself again and again. Is it the correct path that I'm heading towards or not? Yeah, the tough moments were definitely the first two days on the uh, on the Dalton Highway in the above the Arctic Circle. A very tough terrain, absolutely no water, dry, uh, no human being for miles on end, no mobile network. Uh, mm. You're totally on your own. So there is a certain amount of uncertainty and anxiety that tends to creep in. It was also the first few days of my bicycle ride with all the gear. And the road was not flat. It was very hilly, steep road. The gradient was quite a bit, almost 15-16% on many sections. So those were really tough days. The other tough days that I uh, can never forget is being caught up in the Pacific Northwest monsoon, which is very hilly. It's on the western coast of America, from Washington State to California. So almost 2,500 kilometers of coastal road, which are very hilly, quite steep as well. But I was hit by a very cold Northwest monsoon. There is a monsoon in the US, mm. in case you haven't heard of it. It comes on hard like it does in India. It's raining all the time, so I was sleeping in a wet tent. An incessant rain. It was like being in the Amazon rainforest. It was dry. I mean, it was dull, dingy, damp, wet all the time. And, and cold. It was not in warm weather. It was cold weather. So it was very tough days of cycling. That's the only time possibly when I felt really frustrated, angry. And like I felt a certain amount of regret that how come I did not plan my timing into this part of the world properly? Because it's, I completely missed the rains of that period on the coast. And I never realized it's going to be so rainy. And I kept thinking I should have gone inland a bit, which is what my original plan was. And, you know, just so that I happened uh, to meet a cyclist couple on, on the ferry boat. And they said, you know, go by the coast. And I was like pounded by rain every day. So, yes, that was a tough part of my journey. But there were beautiful moments right through, whether it was, Having my first proper meal after four days in this place called Cold Food Camp Station on the Dalton Highway, or whether it was the Icefield Parkway in Canada, which was absolutely gorgeous and I feel like singing every day, or the Yukon where I didn't see a soul for a week, but there was mm. nature's bounty and water and beautiful streams and glaciers and lots of bears. I loved seeing the bears, I was scared, but they might attack me, but they didn't. But yes, those are all beautiful experiences. Peru was a fantastic experience, absolutely beautiful. Mexico was an eye-opener, tremendous country, tremendous country with tremendous potential, great people. So yes, lots of tough moments every day, frankly, but mm -hmm. also beautiful moments also. And I guess for to have that better version of your entire trip, I guess your book, Great Gravel and Gear is the perfect choice to go with, right? Yeah, people to, should to read the book. To get all the anecdotes for that. Yes, uh, people should read the book and... Uh, uh, I, I was really happy to hear uh, somebody who is a very uh, accomplished Delhi University professor telling me the other day after reading my book that in some years, this will become possibly the important book to read in the syllabus because it tells you so much about different countries and South American culture. So I was really humbled to hear that. And I think it was very sweet and kind of him to say it. But yes, I, I personally feel, not because I've written the book, but because no Indian has ever gone that far and written about those countries as such close encounters. And I think a lot of young people, young listeners will learn a lot from this book, not only about cycling, but about culture, people, geography, history, animals, birds, that possibly they may not get in a book like this. So I really urge all to go and read it, actually. 
She was like, and I've already told her that it's next on my reading list. I really want to get an idea. The version of Dhruv 1.0 with 30 years of experience before all that expedition and the version of Dhruv 2.0 that you're currently right now. So any two or any three changes that you have felt inside you, maybe on a spiritual level, maybe on a personal level, maybe on a physical level or mental level you want to share? Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strong change in terms of awakening to to our earth in simple ways like land pollution, tourists polluting with beer cans, beer bottles, chips packets strewn around. It's heartbreaking. Having cycled so much through slightly more advanced countries and then through to the slightly economically challenged countries in Central America and South America, I found that the concept of cleanliness is very high regardless of income. In India, it's just the opposite. The rich tend to pollute a lot more. The economics with disadvantage still keep the surroundings clean. But I'm very sorry to say, but educated tourists come up the mountains in fancy cars and throw beer bottles, beer cans out of the window, leave chips packets behind. They don't carry them back with them. It's heartbreaking. That's one. So that's what's changed me and I speak very strongly and powerfully about this. The second thing is kindness. I've seen that there is tremendous potential to be kind to people and to animals and that we need to live in a softer, gentler world and create more gentle waves around us than we do. We are too aggressive. We are too angry all the time. We are too fearful as many of us are like that. And I think it's the times we live in. So listen less to the news and listen more to nature. I think that's very important. And the third thing that I learned and it shook me from within and which is very important for people to know and understand and maybe read about more about it is the preservation of indigenous languages and culture. See, history is always written by the victor. So mm-hmm. if you really understand history, the world's greatest nations exploited great continents like South America, Africa, India. And, and now we're still doing the same to our indigenous people. So it's very important to preserve their culture, preserve their customs, respect their customs and can let them continue for posterity. Because we've seen the loss of those customs in South America, North America. In India, a lot of work is still happening, but it's not enough. And a lot more needs to be done to preserve the identity of our original inhabitants of our continent before it's lost forever. The languages are not mm-hmm. written. The script is not written. So only There's no script, it's only verbal. So a lot of work is happening now in these countries, but I think we can do a lot in India to respect those, encourage them and allow the forests to prosper, to thrive, not let industry take over whatever land now we have left uh, to preserve this culture. So this is not like a political statement at all, Mayang. It's, it's really about preserving the, the soul of our country. That's very important. So basically what I'm saying is three, four things are very important for us to recognize. One is we need to really consciously make a difference in our immediate environment. The second is be kind and gentle to people around you, to animals especially. You don't have to go and save the tiger, just save that local dog or cat (laughs) or bird in in your neighborhood. And I think the third is really look at your country, not in terms of cultural heritage, but its people, the rights of the indigenous people, the right to forest land, the right to live their life they did 200 years ago, 300 years ago. But that is the soul of the country. 
So these things are very important. You have to balance everything with uh, progress, but also preservation. The young people who are your listeners are the future of this country. And they must ask these questions. They must challenge these things that happen sometimes and really show the way on how things should be done. So uh, my next question to you will be a very straightforward question. And I guess it's the most important question that, you know, keeps on hopping our mind being as humans is I really want to get an idea from you. How does a trip taught you the importance of need versus want? Because this is something that we, especially at this point of time, when we are being surrounded by all the materialistic things and we give importance to them in the society. So how and what is the importance of this need versus want for you? And how do you want to simplify it for, for young listeners who are just in their 18s and 20s and maybe late 20s and 30s who are just listening to you right now? The importance of need versus want. It's a very good question. And it's a question that has tremendous, I would say, opportunity for us to make a difference to the life our children have to lead. And some of the young ones who are already listening to your program will lead in the next 10 years. And that's what is about sustainability. And everything is linked to that. So need and want are words. After all the fairly good life that I led for so many years of my life, if I can live on a bicycle of four or five pieces of clothing, sleep in a tent, eat simple food for one and a half years and be the happiest ever that I ever experienced in my life, maybe that will give you some clue that you can bring down your wants and you can Mm. be happier without attaching to material things all the time. Constantly consuming, because every time you consume something, we are leading to a problem. I, I still, for example, I invest in quality clothing and I don't keep buying. I make it last for years. This particular merino wool thing I'm wearing has been there with me for three years. I wear it every day in the winter. I have two of them. That's it. Black always. But I'm warm. It's fantastic quality. It costs me a bomb. I don't need to buy anything else. That's it. So blindly consuming is not good. Do we have to change our phones every six months? Do we really have? So ask yourself these questions. You make a big difference to the world if you do that. And you'll end up also saving some money and also save some money in the process. <laughs> right. So that's... Maybe in these times, gift that uh, 50,000 rupees you spent on a smartphone to somebody who is uh, distressed by COVID. Somebody needed, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right, Give to a cause. Give to a foundation. My one last question to you. Very simple, very generic question to you that you might have heard a lot of time. And it's like... Your your top three life learning advice that you want to share with young people out there that, you know, who are just choose somewhere between the corporate life or the thing that they really wanted to focus on. Or maybe in general, they are somewhere in them, you know, having the midlife crisis and they really want to seek the advice from someone elder just like you. Your top three life learning advices for people out there. Yeah, it's very important. Follow your heart. Pursue what you love doing. The money will follow. Have faith in mm. yourself. Have faith in the universe. The doors of heavens will open for you if you have the courage to walk the path that you love. And the earlier you do it, the better. Because it gets tougher when you get older because you have so many more commitments and responsibilities. So that's one. The second is remain humble and always practice high integrity in your life. And number three, embrace hardship as a default action in your life. Don't run away from hardship. Embrace it because it is going to keep coming back. So pain and joy are two sides of the same coin. Don't run away from pain and don't run to joy. Treat both with equal economy. So don't be overjoyed with joy and don't be overwhelmed by pain. 
they are going mm. to be part and parcel of your life forever no matter how rich you are no matter how well to do you are no matter how many precautions you take in life you cannot escape it so embrace hardship with a smile and keep striving for a better life whatever you define better as and it's important just last question to you sir i have heard that you know you write poems and you you know you have mentioned a lot of these things in your book actually so i just want you to you know just maybe a phrase maybe a poem maybe a verse or something that you want to share with our listeners your favorite one or your favorite quotation your life quotation your favorite one it's a tough one but i think the one which uh, i really like is learn to dance on ice the native american quotation from canada from one of the tribes there if you can't run and learn to dance on thin ice i think it's apt for our times and so with this we come to an end of this amazing conversation i'm very honest at this stage you know it's the longest episode that i've ever recorded till date and it's full of knowledge full of you know it's like an elder person treating you a lot of life insights that he have been through you know you want to pour out a lot of things to the young people out there so that all the mistakes and all the life learnings that you have had people should learn and you know what just try to make this this world a better place to live yeah i think we can only be the ripple in the water the people have to absorb listen up to absorb what they feel is relevant for them everyone will still go through what they have to go through regardless of what they say or about a four hour but i hope that a small fraction of the listeners will invite something and the hope that maybe it will help them in, in their life even talking like this is therapeutic for me because many times i also go off course and when i find myself talking and sharing my learning because they're coming from deep inside i'm also reminding myself that this this is something that you need to continue to inculcate in your own life always a hard balance between talking practicing actually you know using it in your own life all the time it's not easy but it we are all human beings in motion right we are all working together there is no end destination in our life we are always learning something new so even a talk like this uh, is a learning experience for me It's a learning experience for me as well, and I'm going to stick with this conversation for a longer period of time in our life. You know, whenever I'll just like just go back and seek the advice of someone, I'll definitely going to get back this conversation and to you for sure. Thank you, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your really wonderful questions. All the best. Take care, and and pray for all your listeners as well who are out there. Thank you. So, that's what I've got for today's episode. Thank you for listening it till the end. If you found this episode insightful, deep, and you gain something out of it, do share a screenshot of the same and tag me at M A Y A N K S E H R A and Mr. Dhruv at D H R U V B O G R A on your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn. We'll really appreciate you for this. Now, hold yourself all together, my friend. Step out of that comfort zone of yours. Break it apart and. seek the purpose that you are destined to i'll see you in the next episode with another purpose seeker cheers